Good morning. Uh, my name is Sterling. So glad to be with you this morning and uh, really grateful for the opportunity uh, to uh, be at Asante. Uh, we love Asante. I was telling my uh, daughter on the way over here uh, how much I love Asante. We love Jacob and Alex and uh, what a special occasion it is for uh, the celebration uh, for Alex and Rachel and their new son. And so we're appreciative of that. Let me give you just a quick background about myself. Uh, my name is Sterling and I work with uh, the North American Mission Board. We work with church planning throughout Phoenix, uh, helping church planners and helping uh, churches uh, become planted. And so it's kind of in that role that I've had the chance to know uh, Jacob and Alex over uh, the last maybe 18 months or so. Uh, I'm married, my wife Jenna. We have four daughters. And I say this introducing my family. You might take it as a prayer request. I'm just going to tell you, I've got four daughters. Uh, I used to have hair, and, uh, and then we had uh, those. Uh, but uh, our daughters are, uh, we have this wide range uh, for our daughters. Uh, we have our oldest daughter, uh, Madison. She's 25. Her and her husband uh, live in Austin. Uh, Texas, and uh, they have two sons, and they've also got another uh, baby girl on the way. So that's a big, big, exciting thing uh, for our family. And then have my uh, our next daughter, Emma. Uh, she's 20. She's in Fort Worth, Texas. She's in college. And then we have uh, my favorite daughter, uh, Avery, who's here with me today, which I wouldn't introduce her any other way uh, because she made the trip with me. So you know, you get Starbucks and you get the introduction uh, for that. And then we have um, our surprise. Her name's Charlotte and she's seven. And she was not on our radar and she has changed our lives. And there are some days where we are so thankful to God that uh, we have someone who makes us feel very, very young. And then there are other days we feel very, 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 very old. And um, so we've got that going on. And so uh, that's just a little bit about our family. I'm getting ready to read a passage of scripture, and the idea behind this is that uh, we really desire to have God speak to your heart, and there's a sermon, and we're going to open up God's word, and I, I hope that it's going to be an encouragement, but before I go into it, I just want to give you a chance, maybe just give you maybe 15 seconds uh, for you to just pray. Uh, I don't know what your Sunday morning is like, but a lot of Sunday mornings, uh, it's a lot of rush for some people. Um, maybe not here at this church, but at other churches I know, uh, people, uh, they're rushing in and out. They're just trying to get here, trying to make it all happen. And I just want to give us a chance to pause and just to ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. There's a way that God can speak to us that even goes beyond the sermon. And I just want us all to have the chance to walk out of here today just knowing that we've been in the presence of God. Does that make sense to you? So maybe let's just take a moment and you can just... Um, Pray this, and then in, after about 15 seconds, um, I'll voice a prayer for us. Let's pray. Father, would you speak to us? Uh, our heart's desire is that we would know that we've been in your presence, that we would know full wealth without any hesitation, without any doubt. We would know that um, we've experienced the power of your Holy Spirit speaking to us and, and working in us and through us and prompting our hearts and, 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 and revealing your truth. Father, would you speak to us in a way that every single person here uh, can know that they have heard from you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
We're going to read uh, Psalm 24, and I'm going to read uh, this. It's a total of 10 verses. I'm going to read these, uh, this passage, Psalm 24, verse 1. Here's what it says. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And from this passage, as we just begin to open it up and we look at what uh, the, the David is saying here in this psalm, and as we begin to recognize what it means for us in our lives and the implications that come with this passage, there is an explanation right off the bat that God is absolutely an authority, that God is the authority, that God is our authority. I don't know if you amen. Do we? Aim, I don't know if we amen. I'm, I'm trying. I don't know if we amen at this church, and it's okay. It's totally okay. I'm just. I'm saying that God is the absolute authority. If we want to just kind of recognize this, God is the authority, and we are not the authority. And that, I, for some of us, that sounds good. And you're like, well, yeah, we kind of already knew that. And I think that we probably do know that on some levels. But some of us, and I'm looking for the honest people in the room right now, some of us struggle with that. We struggle with authority. Does anybody struggle with authority? Anybody, we just, some of us, we just don't like to be told what to do. Okay, I feel like I'm confessing some things to you and I wish you could maybe confess back. I would feel this friendliness that would come from that. But because we don't recognize this, we struggle with authority. So when God says, this is what I'm asking you to do, if we like it, then we're kind of good with it. But there's other times when God has asked us to do something that we're not quite so comfortable with that. And we're just establishing this from the beginning. What the first verse is saying to us is that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. What he's saying here in this passage is that God has created every single thing there is. And that includes you. And that includes everybody who's sitting in this room. And that includes everything that we see outside. And that includes all of the people that are in the greater Phoenix area. And you can just expand that as far as you want to go towards Arizona, towards the United States, towards understanding that every single person that has ever walked the face of the earth was created by God. And they were created for God. And he is the authority. And in such, an, in such a place as this where we recognize our struggles with authority, we have to come, come to this point to where what we're admitting is, is that God is bigger than what we think he is. That God is greater, that God is stronger, that God is the absolute authority over everything. One day, a big part of our story in our life is, you know, I work with church plants, but a big part of our story uh, is that we planted churches in New York. 
And so we planted in New York. We lived in New York for 13 years uh, between Long Island and Brooklyn. And so we, we love planting churches there. It was such a huge part of our lives and, and certainly the impact of that. But uh, every fall while we lived on Long Island, uh, we would go way out far east on Long Island. We would go to these different uh, pumpkin patches and these corn mazes. And, and we would take our kids out there and we would have a, a lot of time, you know, a lot of fun times doing that. And uh, we're out there one, this one particular time, and my daughter, Emma, our 20-year-old, she's now 20, she was probably, I don't know, maybe, maybe 11 or 12 at the time, but uh, we were, were out there, and uh, my daughter, she says, you know, I, I want some, some popcorn, and we're walking by, you know, we're walking by this kind of thing where they're selling popcorn, and, and I was like, yeah, we can do that, we can, we can make sure that, that we get you the popcorn, and so the rest of our family's walking on ahead, and so I buy this little bag of popcorn for Emma, and, um, and Emma and I, we start to walk towards the rest of the family, and Emma's holding this bag of popcorn, and um, I reach my hand to be able to pull some popcorn off of the top of the bag, and she pulls the bag away from me. I know some of you are laughing, and it was, I mean, all of these years later, it's a little bit more fun, but you, you know, there's just kind of this like ironic twist that's going on there, right? Like that this idea that, oh, 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 I did buy you the popcorn, but your ownership and authority is very, very limited. Does anybody identify with this? I own the popcorn. I own you for that matter. And so we kind of look at that and we just kind of go, okay, well, yeah, hey, well, she's just kind of having fun. And, and, and you get the idea, though, that there's a lot of things where we've just kind of made this assumption, well, hey, I'm in charge and I'm in control. I'm in charge and I'm in control. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to, no one's going to be able to tell me that this is what uh, the authority is. I'm the authority. And we struggle with this. There's got to be a recognition of who God is. And I want us to just kind of approach this with that God is bigger than what we think he is. There is this grandeur. There is this recognition of the majesty of God. There is this recognition that God is not just our buddy. And God is not just some kind of uh, cosmic force. That God is not just this idea that we're trying to uh, get everybody to be in agreement with him where he's going to win the popularity contest. God does not need to win any contest at all. God does not even have to be approved by any of us to be the authority that he is. God is greater. God is grander. God is huge. Huge. God is majestic. David writes this, and he's written this Psalm, Psalm 24, but this is found in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. It says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Everything and everybody everything and everybody. We come to this conclusion where we just recognize he is so big that he is in, the, in control and he is absolute authority. God is bigger than what we think he is. Let me just add one more thing to that. We are smaller than what we think we are. Anybody ever had to come to that place where you just realize, I don't really have that much control. 
Anybody been in that spot or in that situation where you you're just kind of had your back up against the wall and you were, you know, wanting to, to act like that it was all going to be fine, but I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not asking you to raise your hands. I'm just saying that sometimes for a lot of us, we've been in a spot where we just realize, I don't have any control at all over this. I don't know how this is going to work out. You know, we've, I know that uh, I've got my daughter Avery here and um, Avery has a, a great uh, story of her birth and being born. And uh, Avery was due to be born on March 15, 2009. And Avery ended up being born on Christmas Day, 2008. And uh, Avery was born uh, two pounds, four ounces, uh, emergency C-section. It's, it's all a whole long story. And I'm happy to tell it to you, but it, it was a whole long story where my wife had gone into... Um, she had preeclampsia, and so the day that she's born on, on uh, Christmas Day, uh, I vividly remember this, that uh, Avery was in the NICU on the first floor, uh, and my wife was in the intensive care on the seventh floor. And when I was at, on the seventh floor with my wife, she would want to know, well, how's Avery doing on the first floor? And I would go back down from the seventh floor into the first floor, and then when I was down there with her, then I would obviously be... I need to see how Jenna's doing on the seventh floor. And I rode that elevator. I mean, I was in and out of that elevator. I don't even really know how, how many times. I'm just going to say maybe a hundred times, some, something like that. Over and over again. Okay, you, were, you know, you've been in that spot where you just can't get settled. You, you, the, the anxiety has taken over. The overwhelmingness of how are we going to get through this? What's going to happen? What if? And then what if? And then what if? And you just go through, like, you, you do this in your mind. Anybody, anybody with me? And there is just this idea of going to this point of saying, I don't know. And then they go three more days. Three more days. That's how I remember it. Three more days have gone by. I've gone in and out of this elevator. And on this third day... <laughs> I lost it, like I, lo like I lost it, like I lost my, uh, whatever you would want to call it, composure. I, I was riding the elevator, going from the seventh floor to the first floor, and the elevator stopped on the third floor. And I decided I was just going to get off right there. Got off on the third floor, didn't know really where I was. I just found a wall, and I just leaned up against this wall, and I just broke broke down and had to admit how much authority I didn't have, how much control I didn't have, how I didn't know what the answers were, how I didn't know what was going to happen, how I didn't know what the next day looked like or the next week or the next month or what was going to unfold. And some of us have been in that spot where maybe we've had the diagnosis or we lost the job or we're not really sure what's happening with our kids and we're not really certain how this whole thing is going to work out. And what we're saying here is not in a self-deprecating uh, way. We're not putting ourselves down. We're just saying it factually. We are smaller than what we think we are. We don't have all the authority and control. Again, this is David. Psalm 8, verse 3 says this. When I look at your heavens, 
the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place? What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? We, we, we put ourselves in this perspective of, oh man, he is so, so big. What is it? What is it that the God of the universe in his majesty, in his authority, in his dominion, in his sovereignty, that he thinks about us and that he is working in us and through us? It causes us to, to almost have to take this step back. We were planning churches uh, in New York, and there's a, a few different times, a few different circumstances where just with regard to planning the churches and trying to get sustainability and working through, I know some of the different things that Asante works through and make, getting a church building and getting all the different things that we want to have them all lined up. And I just remember this another particular day, feeling extraordinarily overwhelmed. I went for this this uh, long walk, and if you've ever been to New York, I uh, went to this long walk where I started out uh, near uh, Battery Park, which is the lower end of Manhattan Island, and I just started walking, and I just, I just went this, I, I mean, I'm walking, and I'm praying, and I'm walking, and I'm praying, and I'm just, I mean, I'm telling you for hours, this is going on, and I walk uh, across the Brooklyn Bridge, and I'm, uh, I'm looking out, you know, over the harbor there, and I see the Statue of Liberty, and I'm thinking in my mind, the Statue of Liberty, look at all of these, all of the people for all of the years that have come here from whatever state of the country or the, uh, the uh, oppression, the, all of the immigration that has taken place over the years, and they see that Statue of Liberty with the extended arm up in the harbor. People that are looking for freedom, and looking for liberty. And I remember so vividly thinking to myself, I so much want that freedom and liberty. I so much in my own life, I just recognize all the things that are all tangled up and, and all of the different ways of, of experiencing this. And I, um, I had to confess so many things to God. I had to repent of so many things to God. And you know this, right? You know the, the passage in John, John chapter 8, verse 32, uh, verse 36, it says something similar that when the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. You will know the truth, and the truth has set you free. And Jesus is the truth. And I, I went through this whole sequence of that. I was walking away from the, the Brooklyn Bridge and... Um, I hadn't noticed it while I was, while I was there, but um, I had a voicemail on my phone. And it's the closest that I've ever come to actually experiencing maybe what Psalm 8 was about. But uh, I had a voicemail, and uh, it was from one of our friends that we've known for a long time. He's an astronaut. He's an astronaut, and he was in orbit. Uh, and he left me a voicemail, and he just said, I just want to let you know, that were orbiting over New York, I saw Long Island, and I thought of you. And I just wanted to let you know that I'm praying for you today. Now, for me, that was like one of the most incredible moments because I thought, look how small I am. I'm in this little speck, and I'm just imagining this idea that over through the outer space, 
that there is this, this idea that there is a God who cares about us, who is making sure that we know that he can be trusted. God is bigger than what we think he is. We are smaller than what we think we are. God is the authority and we are not the authority. Here's the second part of this. God is the creator and we are the creation. God made you, God made them, and God made that. And we have to keep that always in the forefront of our minds. God made you, God made them, and God made that. Everything that we see, it is from the creation of God. In Isaiah chapter 40, there is this recognition, again, a confession about the depth of God's incredible power. It says it like this. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait up for the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We can trust God in this way. We can understand that God is the creator, that we are created by him and he is going to sustain us. The other part of that is it not just that uh, God made you, God made them, God made that, but we come back to this, that we are the clay, that God is the one who's working us and making us and molding us. Isaiah chapter 45 verse nine says this, woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots, does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, what are you in labor? Thus the Lord says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and the one who formed him, ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hand? I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens and I commanded all their hosts. God is the authority. He is the one who is making you. And we sometimes forget this, that we're the clay. He's the potter. He's the one who is molding us. He's the one who is shaping us. And we don't have authority to tell him, well, this is the way that I wanted you to do it. We don't have authority to say, well, why did you make me this way? And why didn't you make me that way? That God, because we can trust him, we can be able to know that he knows what he's doing. See, whenever we begin to doubt God, we begin to wonder, does God really know what he's doing? And if we can doubt whether or not God knows what he's doing, then we can doubt other things about God. Then for some of us who have gone through this, where we've doubted, well, does, does God really know me? Does God really love me? Does God really forgive me? And we go through this over and over again. And what we've done in our own way is that we've exalted ourselves to where we've decided that we are the authority and we can question God. And questioning God never leads, leads us to anywhere good. It always leads us to this place of misunderstanding who we are and who God is. We are the clay. God made you. God made them. God made that. We have to go back to that over and over again because whenever we forget it, we insert ourselves into a place that never leads to anywhere good. This passage out of Psalm 24, we establish this, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world and those who dwell there within. For he has founded it upon the seas and he's established it upon the rivers. 
But he asked this question in verse three. So who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? In other words, if we begin to have a better idea of who God is and the authority and the majesty of who God is, how do we get to be where God is? I mean, he's at, the, he's at the top, and if you want to just use this visual, that he's at the top of the mountain, and he's the authority, but how do we get there? How do we get to experience who God is? How do we get to experience the, the, the relationship with God when it seems like we're so far away? We're the ones who come in, when we've got our own issues, we've got our own doubts, we've got our own sin that has separated us from God. How do we get there? And it says, this is what happens. In verse four, it says, he who has clean hands, in a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So we're left with this idea and understanding. So how do we, how do we have our hands cleaned? And how do we have our heart purified? How, what, what happens? If God's the authority and we know that we don't have the authority, what goes on here? How is it that we make this move and that we approach him in this way? We become completely reliant upon what Jesus has done for us. God is the one who cleanses and we are the one who needs cleansing. God is always the one who cleanses and we're the ones who needs cleansing and we can't clean ourselves. God alone can purify our hearts and minds. God alone can be able to demonstrate his power. David, again, he goes through this. You might know the backstory for some of this as we keep referring to David's life and what's going on, but David has committed adultery with Bathsheba and not only has he committed adultery with Bathsheba, she's had her husband, Uriah, the Hittite, has been... Uh, He's had murdered. He's taken his own life in order to hide his sin. And the guilt and the shame is there and the guilt and the shame is real. He comes to this in Psalm 51, verse seven, the prayer of David. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David comes to this place of desperateness. I don't know if you've been in that, that place of desperateness. There's a few ways that you can get there to that place of desperateness. Maybe it's the anxiety that I talked about before. Maybe it's just the, the weight of the guilt and shame that you've been carrying it. I mean, you know just that you've been carrying this uh, sin or you've been carrying this idea that uh, what you've done, can God actually forgive? Can God actually cleanse me? Can God actually restore me? Can I be even restored to the joy of my salvation? Some of us know what it's like to, we kind of lose our step. I mean, we can remember a time where, where we felt like God was with us and, and, and maybe you've been in a spot in your own life where there was a, a time that you can remember where uh, you were the one who was quoting the Bible verse and you were the one who was uh, offering the encouragement to somebody else, but you've gone through some other circumstances in your life and you wonder, I, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, does God really, really forgive me? 
Does God really, really make me new and make me clean? He says it over and over again. How do we get, how do we get, how do we get, how do we ascend the hill of the Lord? He says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and who does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Jesus is the one who purifies us. Jesus is the one who sets us free. Jesus is the one who cleanses us. Jesus is the one who makes us right. Jesus is the one who takes our sin and our guilt and our shame. He takes it from us on the cross. Romans chapter five, verse six says this. It says that at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we didn't have it together, when we didn't, when we didn't do the right thing, when there was nothing about us that made us somehow earning uh, his approval or being able to carry that, carry that effort, that we come to this place of absolute dependence, that the one who cleanses us and the one who sets us free is not the one who is saying, so what are you going to do to get up the mountain? He's the one who left the mountain to come down to us to cleanse us. Amen. That is the celebration of who Jesus is, is that he didn't say, well, if you want me, you can catch me if you can, that he's the one who's pursued us. Isn't that the incredible beauty of the prodigal son in Luke 15? Is that it says that the father stood outside and he was looking and he was waiting for his son to come home. And it says that he ran to him. And guess what? He runs to you.